1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, Working's bi-weekly advice-focused side piece. I'm your host, June Thomas.
2: And I'm your other host, Isaac Butler.
1: How are you, Isaac?
2: How am I? I think I'm doing all right. I've been traveling a lot <laughs> over the last two <laughs> weeks. We we took a week of vacation, and then we're at my parents' house for a week to work and get a little childcare help because it's Iris' spring break. And uh, In general, it's been good. You know, when you're away from home and trying to work, I think you need to lower your standards about what you're going to get done in a day. And by those standards, I feel like I've done fine. How about you?
1: I'm doing all right, but I need to get back to you because, so I'm very familiar with that situation. You're kind of negotiating with yourself, like, am I okay with this amount? You know, because what can you do if you're not? But is it okay? Are you on deadlines? Do you still have teaching that you have to do? Like, is it okay if you reduce your productivity?
2: This particular week, it is. I'll probably pay for it a little bit next week. I certainly paid for it before I left. I pulled yeah. maybe three twelve-hour days in a row before we left on this vacation. So, but ultimately, it was worth it. And uh, yeah, yeah, right now, I think it's fine. I'm caught up on grading. You know, things are where they need to be.
1: All right. Good. Good.
2: Yeah, I don't take a lot of vacations to be completely honest. Historically, it's not a thing that I'm really good at. So it's one thing I'm trying to get get
1: better at now that the now that the book is out. Uh, how yeah. about you? Good. And I just want to reply to tell you that I'm very good at taking vacations. And I think it's one of the few holdovers from my British upbringing that Brits just love to take holidays and will take holidays. And, uh, you know, I might be an American now, but I still love my holidays.
2: (laughs) Yes. So uh, what are we talking about today, June? June.
1: So I wanted to talk about creative routines and rituals. And this is on my mind because by the time this episode goes out into the world, I will have made a big life change because on April 1st, I am leaving my day job at Slate to concentrate on writing my book. And so finding a new nine to five or whatever that is productive, but also takes advantage of the freedom that freelancing brings is right at the top of my agenda. And just in case anyone was wondering... I will still be doing this podcast, so you will never know the difference. You know, uh,
2: before we get to talking about this, I want to say, you know, Kevin, who's on our production team, uh, does occasionally write write music that is wound up in these Working Overtime episodes, and I'm wondering if maybe he can put in something that is both excited for you and sad (laughs) at the end of the era at the same time. So, Kevin, if you can, give us three chords. All right. Uh, The reason why I want to say that is, you know, June, I was a longtime Slate reader before I ever wrote for Slate. And uh, I feel like I've been reading your work in Slate and watching and listening to your work uh, for a very, very long time. And so while I'm so happy we're going to be co-hosting this podcast together still, uh, I will miss your presence everywhere else on the site. Um, And I I know it's been a long run, but it's been a very, very good one. So um, congratulations. And I can't wait to read your book.
1: Well, thank you, Isaac but you're a busy freelancer and you have also published a very successful book. So tell me, what's your attitude to routine?
2: I think it's super important to have a routine. Uh, I think that they're very very useful particularly when you're making the transition to writing full time or freelancing full time it's really important Mm -hmm. to do and then maybe you can let go of it later because then suddenly you discover other ways of being but it's important to at least try to develop one that works for you but I think it's also important not to get too rigid or precious about it because it can actually stand in the way of your creativity you know of your output of producing and generating um, if you're in a situation where you can't do that routine and you need to do something else. So you both need to have it and be flexible about it.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I'm very conscious of is that even for the so-called creative classes, when you're working with other people and your work is part of a critical path, when you have a day job basically, your schedule is still pretty much set for you. You probably don't have to clock in or out of a workplace, you don't need anyone's permission to leave your workstation to use the bathroom but you have to be available for meetings or podcast recordings. You have to hand off chunks of work. You have to publish a podcast at a certain time. So you have a schedule. But when you're writing a long-form piece or a book, there's less of that. And I worry that if I don't have some kind of schedule or routine, I'll just sit on the couch looking at YouTube. But what should that routine be? Okay, I mustn't get too precious about it, but What should I do? Are you conscious of having a time when your brain works best and how did you find it?
2: Well, first of all, I just have this vision of you on a couch with maybe a cup of tea and you're watching these YouTube videos and all of them are about schedule and routine management for creative work. (laughs) Like It's not like you're goofing off and watching Taskmaster or whatever. You're just watching more productivity videos. Uh, um, That's what I do. (laughs) Or paper crafts. Yeah. Yeah. In graduate school, I learned that my brain works best in the morning. I am really Mm -hmm. a morning person. Uh, Before Iris was born, uh, I would you know, wake up, walk the dog, have a cup of coffee and be sitting down. You know, it's just as quickly as possible, how do I get my hands in front of the computer? Um yeah. if I'm really on a roll in the morning, I can easily get one to 2,000 words written in a couple of hours. It's just really wow. firing. It just really goes. And then it just breaks my brain. And so the the issue <laughs> is actually, the thing that I've had to figure out what to do is what do I do in the afternoon? Because my brain really does not work that well in the afternoon. And so figuring out like, okay, you have lunch and then you take a nap for 20 minutes and then you're reading. Or, you know, with the method, I had to watch so many movies and read so mm-hmm. many plays and stuff. And so the afternoon became the time that I did that. And so that was sort of how I developed some kind of rough schedule. I also did create book-related deadlines for myself. Mm. You know, for the first part of the book, for example, where I, was, uh, I would research and write one chapter and then research and write the next and research and write the next, I was going to do one chapter a month. And it really, you know, once you figured out that deadline. Okay. It has to be done in a month. It weirdly like your brain adjusts to fit it. It's like every, it always, it always took exactly a month, whether I was ahead at the beginning or behind at the beginning, it always, always, always took exactly a month. So I do think that kind of schedule is important. Just figuring out not only when are you at your best, but when are you not at your best? And then how do you use that time is super important.
1: That's really interesting. And on that point. I have been wondering, you know, OK, so, so how do you figure out what to do once you're at your desk yeah. and you figured out what time? And I recently read a newsletter by Oliver Berkman, author of the great book, 4,000 Weeks, former working guest, friend of the show. And in that newsletter, which is called The Imperfectionist, by the way, Oliver outlined his three 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 technique. And basically, every workday, he spends three hours on his most important current project, He takes care of three shorter tasks. Those could be urgent to-dos like calls or meetings. And then he does three maintenance activities. So that's a sort of mixture of healthy habits and daily admin. And currently his three maintenance activities are morning pages, an hour of email and at least 45 minutes of walking or running. That sounds great. Truly, really great. It's a nice mixture of structure and openness. And Oliver, like you, he spends his first three hours on his big task because his brain is best in the morning. And then the rest gets fit in around the demands of the day. And while I'm attracted to the looseness of that structure, I worry about wasting time working out what to do. So again, what have you learned about the need for structure? Uh,
2: I mean, well, first of all, that sounds like a great system and I should try it so long as I also have like one hour for playing Elden Ring. Um, You (laughs) are a much more structured person than I am, I think, in general. Mm. I don't have a bullet journal. I don't use productivity apps. And in fact, when I try to get into that stuff, they cause more problems and anxiety than they solve because I get distracted halfway through setting them up. And then I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) what am I doing? I've I've failed at this. I'm too disorganized. I need a productivity (laughs) app to help me set up this productivity app and it just goes on and on and on. I just don't like creating a complicated workflow around myself. But structure is really important. What I start with is, what do I have to do that day? I have to pick Iris up from after school at 5.30. I have to walk chili. I have to cook dinner. We don't have any food for dinner in the house, so I have to go (laughs) to a green grocer to pick something up. Okay, so that means my day is really over at 4.30. Nothing more is getting done after that. And so working backwards from there, a loose schedule develops. One thing that's been really vital to this is that every Sunday night, Anne and I have, you know, like a 30-minute meeting after Iris goes to Mm -hmm. bed and we just coordinate our schedules. Who's taking her to school what day? Who's making dinner what day? Who's walking the dog when? You know, all sorts of things. And so that forces me to know what my schedule for the week is, actually. And once that's in my brain, it's like I start figuring that stuff out. The problem can be when you have no commitments – And the whole week is just totally amorphous. Then you really, I think, do have to get into a place where it's like, well, maybe I'll actually just create a calendar event that's three hours, Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
2: research chapter five or whatever. But I've never, in a weird way, I haven't had to do that very often because as a busy freelancer, you know, there's recording sessions for this. There's sometimes a play I've got to see, an interview I've got to do, you know, whatever it is. And so there's a a lot of the structure of my week is actually taken care of for me. Sometimes I get mad about that because I just want the free time to write whenever I feel like it. But often the schedule is just kind of imposed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, things have to emerge, but you have to give them a space to emerge if it's just sort of this giant field acres and acres of potential sprouting ground, it's too much. the little seeds can't can't handle that. but if you give them a relatively small space, <laughs> yeah. it's, there's more potential.
2: yeah I mean, I think part of what the three 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 thing that Oliver Berkman is talking about, but part of why that's so helpful is it kind of eliminates choice paralysis because yeah. it's not like yeah. I have eight hours in which I could do anything. What of the many things it's like no 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 no, you have eight hours in which you can do nine things that fall into three categories. And so you're only allowed three things from each of those categories. And then suddenly it's much easier.
1: Yeah. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more Working Overtime after this. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to sixty percent off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners at babbel.com/working. Get up to sixty percent off at spelled babbel.com/working. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L. dot com/working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Hey, listeners,
2: Isaac Butler here. Uh, Do you have any creative routines or or rituals that you practice every day that help you get your work done? Or maybe you find rituals difficult to get into. Maybe sacrificing chickens isn't your thing. Either way, why don't you get in touch and share your thoughts? You can email us at workingatslate.com or, even better, call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-9675 work all right back to the show
1: all right so we've talked a bit about routine but what about ritual the kinds of things i'm thinking of here are for example lighting a candle when you begin your creative work i remember when you interviewed writer ayad akhtar for working he mentioned that he reads a passage from shakespeare at the beginning of every workday As I recall from previous episodes, and I could also guess from your attitude to routine, you're not a ritual guy, right? You're maybe even anti-ritual? Yeah.
2: Well, anti-ritual would imply that I think other people shouldn't do them. And that's not true. I think you have to discover what works for you. And the only way to do that is to experiment with different things. And what I have learned from my experimentations is that rituals don't work for me. I just don't build (laughs) habits that way. And uh, the closest thing I have right now to a ritual is that as soon as possible after waking up, I mean, I'm talking seconds after waking up, I do wordle, anti-wordle, Wordle 2, and Quartle. I do four different kinds of, of Wordle. Wordle. Well, it doesn't take that long. But that's that to me is like, you know, lots of people respond to Wordle as like a game that you've got to win. And to me, it's actually like a meditative practice. It's just a thing that your brain does to get going. I always play Yesterday's Solution as the first guess to take any kind of strategy out of it. Wow. It's just about like getting your brain thinking about language, really. Um, huh. On top of that, maybe I sort of do have rituals because my morning is extremely routinized because I have Mm -hmm. to walk a dog and get a kid ready for school. You know what I mean? Like like (laughs) those parts of my morning are always going to be the same. But to me, the thing that I struggle with and that actually a lot of freelancers I know struggle with is what we really need is a ritual that signals the day of work is over. Because the Mm -hmm. problem is stopping work and not just thinking about work and working all the time, but actually like going back to being a real human being. That's, That's really... a a tricky problem particularly during the pandemic where you're just all of this stuff is happening in one space
1: i was just going to say that the working from home period which has now been two solid years has both simplified and flattened that for me like my ritual for signaling the end of the day is moving from my office to the living room it's a tiny distance it's so little but my brain now at least, knows what it means. And I think that signalling aspect is really the appeal of rituals. We not only kind of tell our brain what's happening, but we also signal to ourselves, if we're trying to write or do something creative, that we're taking this project seriously, that we might also be communicating to the people that we live with, that we're working now, that they shouldn't be disturbed unless it's a real emergency. But it also feels like it can work against you, that you could be dependent on a ritual in an unproductive way. I have to say, though, that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I used to be super productive, but then they stop making the flavour of candle that I used to work to and I just can't get any work done anymore. Like, it's not quite so black and white, Right.
2: I mean, it isn't, but that's the thing that I'm afraid of. I just think that would happen <laughs> to me. Like, I'm so stubborn on some level that, you know. Yeah. But I will say, you know, one of the things that was really helpful about graduate school that had nothing to do with the actual classes or the books being read or anything like that was that uh, it forces you to have discipline. Mm-hmm. Just developing that habit that you are going to write every day, no matter what was really, really important. Now, I actually no longer do that. I don't write every Mm. day. I now write when I need to, for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, when I was working on my thesis on top of having essays due for workshop or, you know, whatever it was, I was literally writing at least a little bit every single morning. And um, developing that kind of discipline is great because then... When you need to have it again, you can just go and have it. You're like, I remember what this is like. I can do that. So that's important. And I do feel like now that you're freelancing full time and you're working on the book, not exclusively, but most of the day probably, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that you're, I would hope, you know, what you're going to do is you're just going to experiment with a bunch of different things and you're going to figure out from where that discipline flows. I mean, I know you're a really disciplined worker from everything you've gotten done at Slate over the last 25 years, but now it's about like figuring out how to apply that to the writing and to that yeah. that practice.
1: Yes. Okay, so this is where I admit that the reason I wanted to talk about ritual is that I came upon one that really appeals to me and I'd kind of like to add it to my own daily routine and I want to hear what you think. So when Joan Didion died in December 2021, the writer and podcaster Kelsey McKinney tweeted out a paragraph from Didion's first Paris Review interview, which was with Linda Kuhl uh, from back in 1978. Didion did another Paris Review interview with Hilton Als many decades later, but this is from the one with Linda Cool. And Cool asked Didion, do you have any writing rituals? And she replied, the most important is that I need an hour alone before dinner with a drink to go over what I've done that day. I can't do it late in the afternoon because I'm too close to it. Also, the drink helps. It removes me from the pages. So I spend this hour taking things out and putting things in. Then I start the next day by reading all of what I did the day before, following those evening notes. When I'm really working, I don't like to go out or have anybody to dinner because then I lose the hour. If I don't have the hour, I start the next day with just some bad pages and nowhere to go. So McKinney said that she started using this Joan Didion method for editing yourself about five years ago, and she said it completely changed the way I work. Now, I'm aware it might just be the English in me just looking for an excuse to have a drink. But I find it very appealing. What do you think?
2: I love this. Although I do have some questions. Who's cooking mm-hmm. the dinner? Was it Was it John <laughs> Dunn? Did they have a cook? Were they making poor Quintana Roo cook their dinner? Like, where's <laughs> dinner coming from? Also, great question. Why isn't the hour before dinner in the afternoon? How late are they eating dinner? No, I think this is great. <laughs> the thing that this reminds me of is that. And this is something I really believe a large part of your daily creative work is actually about planting seeds for your Mm. subconscious to work with in between the times that you're consciously working. And then during the next period of creative labor, you're harvesting what's grown from those seeds and planting new ones. And that's really what Didion is doing here. Um I think, you know, that editing yeah. at the end of the day is sort of setting her brain to a task. And then it's going to mm-hmm. chug along on that task while she's doing other stuff. And then in the morning it's going to be ready to work and she gives it some runway by editing those other pages. Hidden within this though, is some I definitely do not do and I'm somewhat loath to try, which is editing whatever you've written on the day that you've written it. Um, mm. I wait until I've reached some kind of clear stopping point, the end of a piece, the end of a chapter, the end of each part of the book, whatever it is, and then go back and edit. Yeah. I will say, I mean, that's not always true. There are times where to get the juices flowing in the morning. I read yesterday's writing and I do a light edit of it. It's usually like cleaning up typos or and mm-hmm. then I write down a couple notes to myself or whatever. But that's about it. I do think that a glass of wine at the end of the day is a very nice way to uh, um, get the end of day ritual that I was talking about. Yeah. So I know because you're British, you're going to want that glass <laughs> of uh, maybe claret. Would it be claret? Oh
1: my God. I think it would be a beer actually. Uh, yeah, afraid right. of, yeah, yeah, let's be honest.
2: Mm-hmm. A nice delicious Hefeweizen at the end of the day to... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, so I, I I get it. That sounds like a very relaxing way to engage with your work. It's just that kind of editing every day. Then all night, I'm going to be fretting about the edits that I need to do, you know? You yeah. gotta, I, I, yeah. That's not a good way of giving my subconscious space to do its work.
1: Yeah, I think actually, you know, the more I sort of read the passage, it does seem to be about really having all the time to herself, which I absolutely understand. Being a bit of a hermit, being an only child, There's a sort of a resentment of like both a desire for for socializing and seeing your friends and also like, no, I just need to be focusing on my project and my great work. And I think there's an element of that, too, that it just is this is my process. It makes it easier to say then, "Eh, yeah, I just want to be selfish right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the honest thing is, is that there are times when you're really, really deep in something when, yeah, you do need to retreat and be a hermit. But it is also important to, like, go out in the world and be part of the world. I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, having a friend over to dinner once in a while or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. At the same time, am I as good a writer as Joan Didion?
1: Probably not. So
2: maybe I should try (laughs) this and uh, see what comes out of it.
1: All right. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. But before we go, may I suggest listening to Working Every Week be part of your creative routine. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have ideas for things you like or things we could do better or questions you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear your creative rituals. You can send us an email at working at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK.
2: And hey, if you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. It's only $1 for the first month.
1: Big thanks to Kevin Bendis and to our series producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working, and in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work.